0: Alright, welcome everybody again. This is Stephen Michael Miller, one of the co-founders here at Strombrook and Limitless, and I am here. I've got uh, Chris Crone with us here today as well as Marianne Denovelis and several of you. Thank you for being here on the call. This is our Limitless Tribe Call, and uh, I'm so excited because last week we started a conversation um, about the science of manifesting, and really, we started kind of the part one, and Chris talked about last week how he's going to jump into the part two, but before we do, I just want to talk about a couple housekeeping items and kind of get everyone up to speed on a few things. This weekend was a packed, crazy, amazing weekend, and Chris, I know that you're on the phone, and uh, you were you were in Orem, at the, or Provo at the the Health Intensive. I had an opportunity to go down to... Um,
1: and actually I'm going to go ahead and
0: meet out the, the lines here real quick um, so I had an opportunity to go down to Vernal go over to Vernal and we had an amazing regional event over in Vernal uh, so again just a lot going on we had a massive announcement that took place that we to be talking a little bit about more uh, on this call today but Chris I just wanted to kind of Get your feelings on the weekend, and uh, how did the wealth intensive go, or health intensive go? Excuse me.
2: You know the health intensive went very, very well. Marianne was there for the entire part of it. I was not at the health intensive. She ran it with Josh and with Shauna, um, and they had amazing results and and put on just an absolutely amazing event. And I was there on Saturday when we made the big announcement. Marianne, are you on the line right now? Can you see whether you yep, can – Yeah, I'm um, here. Her, can you hear me? All right. Yeah, we hear you. Tell us about the health intensive.
1: Oh, my gosh. This health intensive was so much fun. I mean, not to mention fun, but just so totally connective. Shauna and Josh and I were able to meet the day before and put together a very deliberate and ver- um, play- playbook full of variety. And this, this health intensive is the start to um, another 60-day challenge that we put together. And we are so psyched to watch this continue to grow. I think it's our uh, one of our most successful events uh, per capita.
0: Fantastic. Hey, I really appreciate that input. Yeah, it sounds like it was a tremendous event, Uh, really felt the energy of the portion that we were, you know, we we were able to kind of tap in during the announcement portion of that event, and uh, a lot of great people in the room it looked like, great energy. I just want to, again, just give a a shout out to uh, the whole team in Vernal. We had such an amazing group out in Vernal, and they really just went to work uh, with this whole Unified ambition and, and intention of changing and transforming lives, and it was a wonderful thing We had several people that were out in Vernal who had you know been secretly manifesting uh, at a, at a limitless event coming out to Vernal and lo and behold here. We were uh, it was just tremendous. We had probably uh, 85 or so people in the room. I mean it was a tremendous tremendous event and several people have decided to move forward uh, with us down there in Vernal with Limitless, um, so congratulations to Vernal. Um, but without any further further ado i 'm going to go ahead and uh, turn the time over to Chris. Chris is going to again be talking about part two here of how the science behind manifesting. so Chris, go ahead and take it
2: away. Stephen, thank you and, and for everyone on the line, I want to just tell you about this monstrous announcement that we made on Saturday, um, and I just want to briefly hit it if you weren 't there. Um, we're guessing between those viewing online and groups and families and people that were there live. We had fo- close to five hundred people listen in that uh, felt that they needed to be there and listen to the information as we released Limitless's brand new revenue sharing plan. And uh, please let me just to take a few minutes and share some of the highlights, and then at a very excited about it. First of all, um, Limitless has been going for a year. and as we put it together, I knew that we needed to ultimately create some type of system to compensate those that were contributing to building the Limitless Movement. I've seen that now over the last year with, with taking in, measuring, and seeing how everyone comes together. And if you've ever been to a Limitless event, you know that yeah, we've got countless staff, we've got people showing up as angels, we've got protege angels, we've got people that are, that are manning the back tables and the booths, we've got people doing pathfinding, team leading, all these different roles. You know, and the question is that it really takes a village to run this movement. How do we take care of the village? How do we take care of the villagers that are coming together to make it all happen? How do we take care of those that are putting the people in the room? And on Saturday, we released verbally the brand new Limitless Revenue Sharing Plan. And listen to that name, Revenue Sharing Plan. And it's really what it implies. Um, the Limitless event does produce revenue when people join our programs. And what we've created out of that is a sharing plan. How do we share with everyone for their contributions? And what we've done is we've decided to take all the revenue that everyone worked so hard to create, and we divide it into pools. And all that really means is that well, we're going to take a percentage of the results, and we're going to contribute it to everyone that helped build the event and get people there. And we're going to take this percentage and, and, can, and give it to everyone else that's serving the event. We're going to take this percentage and, and give it to the planners for playing their role of, of you know, in actually inviting and enrolling people into the program. So oh, let's take this portion, and we're going to give it to those that fulfill those events and help do the training. And that is what we released on Saturday. In our newsletter today, Uh, we are going to actually be releasing the first official version of our pre-launch Limitless Revenue Sharing Plan. That means that you can read all the details, the splits, the shares, the divisions. How are we going to take care of everybody? It's all outlined in this document. It also includes all the different roles. And if you aspire to grow in Limitless and to get into some of the higher level pools that pay out more money, you can do that. We also have these leadership pools and longevity pools, those that are showing up over and over and and, and consistently serving and helping. How do we get you a permanent residual income off of everything Limitless does? Well, friends, that is the new Limitless Revenue Sharing Plan, and I'm so thrilled about it. We got such great remarks. And today I've got a lot that I want to talk about. I'm I'm going to be picking Ann's brain, who's been deep in the work of Breakthrough for years. But before we go there, let me just share some highlights from this plan. Number one, If you're a tribe member, if you are a part of Limitless in any way, shape, or form, you're a member of the tribe. And tribe members, when you serve by inviting people to attend the event, when you serve by actually coming to the event and staffing or team leading, if you serve in any of those capacities, you are going to earn Limitless points. And one Limitless point equates to a dollar. So that means that you can trade those points for discounts on programs. What this means is that you could serve and invite people to come, and even when people join programs, you can earn thousands of points and ultimately trade them for getting into the inner circle, a mentor maker, or any of our programs. In other words, we've just created a new popular way for people to manifest their way into the highest level of mentoring that Limitless has to offer. That was a really big announcement. Uh, the second one is that if you decide that you want to earn pools that also have financial contributions, not just points, then you can become a, an ambassador. And an ambassador is, is a tribe member who says, hey, I'm here because I want to deliberately grow Limitless, and I can grow it. And we, we, we lined out six different career paths, different ways of earning money. Uh, basically, if you invite and be, bring people to the November 16th, 17th, and 18th final three-day Limitless event of the year, you actually can earn a percentage of everything that that event produces. And I'm telling you right now, it's a lot. It's generous. You can earn hundreds of dollars for inviting people to attend that event, um, even potentially per person. And this document will give you more details on that. Um, Those of you that are trained as staff, trained as team leaders, no longer in training as protégés, trained as angels, when you come and help put on the event, you also get to earn a piece of everything the event produces. We're all in it together. If the event produces a little or a lot, all of, the, uh, all of the tides are going to go up and all the ships in the harbor are going to go up too and we, all, we are all going to elevate together according to our contribution. And then the third big thing that we announced, I think, was that there are very real career paths. Stay with Limitless, serve with Limitless, grow with Limitless, and if you like the idea of earning permanent residual income for life on not just an event that you do serve at, how would you like to get a piece of all the action from all of Limitless's events, including all the ones that you never attend? And that's also in this. And so it's a, it's a very exciting document. Um, it's something that we're going to be rolling out today's newsletter. Stephen Miller is actually working with Christine Graham and, and Chris Milliner and Brian Hunt on getting the final touches on it so that it does in fact go out with the newsletter. And so I'm just really, I'm just really happy with what's happening. It's, it's really exciting. Um, so you're going to want to check out the newsletter when it goes out today. You're going to look and, and find that. And before we go into the science, Miriam, because I've got you on the line, and, and also Stephen Miller being one of the founders of Strongbrook, I would love to have the two of you weigh in on, on what you're most excited about and what do you think this is going to do for those that jump right on board to start getting in these leadership pools. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I have to say that this is a beautiful design that has been, I know, in, in gestation for a long time. There's so many things that Limitless does. And as a company, it's really at the forefront of any other in the business. I have never, ever seen any other company do what Limitless is doing. It's We are building the rocket ship. We are the master's of this creation, we are the, the blueprint designers that perhaps many other companies will will model their models after what we are doing, and that's what that's one of the things that makes this so absolutely beautiful. Is that we are learning along the way. I, and one thing I love about limitless and the leadership within limitless is they listen. They listen to what the needs of the tribe are. They listen to the the needs of the leadership are. They listen to what the, the needs of the participants are. And they, we're open to evolving. We're open to shifting. We're open to say constantly, how can we make this even better? And I'm just so excited for every new launch that we have, from when we launched to Maker, from when we launched Certified Women's Mentors, and now we're, now we're that we're launching this revenue share plan. it It feels like every couple of months, we get another boost in our in our jet fuel as it were as as just to say you know how good can we make this how much better can we make this and what's so exciting about this particular revenue share opportunity is we we talk at limitless and we even have a little symbol when we raise our hands up and we point our finger and say we are one this truly epitomizes that we are truly all one tribe we are truly taking this stance, it says, everything that grows in Limitless helps everyone in Limitless grow. This is a a step forward that is going to take mentors to the next level. It's going to take participants to the next level. It's going to take tribe members to the next level. One of the things that I'm most excited about is people that have been looking and eyeballing higher-level programs for a while, they keep showing up. You know, there are certain people within Limitless that will keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up and serve and serve and serve. You know, I look at people like Keely who who serve so generously at every Limitless event, and she is right on top of every growth that she can possibly be on top of. You know, Keely, she's got the opportunity now to earn those points through Limitless, and join a higher-level mentoring program that I know that she's been in the process of manifesting for a really, really long time. People that would be great participants in our higher-level program now have an even better pathway to get there. I mean, I think this this revenue share plan is the result of so many people putting their brains together, putting their hearts together for the art of manifesting, which I, I'm pretty sure we're talking about today. This is happening live action right now this art of manifesting and collective manifesting. It it just is in every facet of this.
2: Awesome, Marianne. Stephen. Stephen Miller, are you on mute? Stephen Miller, she's on mute. All right. Well, um, there was your little jingle and singing for the day from me. Um, I hope that puts a smile on your face. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I I sing everywhere I'm going. Stephen, are you there? No, okay, I thought you jumped on. All right, cool. Well, Marianne, today let's go ahead and tackle the first part of this call. Um, I got pulled open, and just so you know, I'm actually – Right now, I'm on technically Chapter 9 is what I'm reading off of. I've got the entire Limitless manuscript in front of me. Um, many iterations gone back and forth. Stephen Palmer's done a brilliant job writing it. We've got, we've got a couple dozen of our Limitless mentors that are also going to be doing special editions of this book, and I'm excited for their, their chapters that are coming together and sharing their results with Limitless, their own life and their own mentoring perspectives. Um, so yesterday, I was reading from Chapter 8 last week on – The Science of Belief Breakthrough. And today, this is a different chapter. This one is on why we cling to our false beliefs and limitations. And then I'm going to share with you in this book exactly how we're outlining the exact, precise, official steps of belief breakthrough. And so I'm going to go into this a little bit, and then I'm going to be picking Marianne's brain because Marianne is not just one of our guardian angels that certifies people in belief breakthrough, but she's had extensive experience with belief breakthrough herself over the years and as a mentor. Um, so I'm going to get uh, – let me launch into this. So here's the deal. As children, we know that we've adopted hundreds and thousands of these limiting beliefs. We've talked about how that happened. And um, in fact, i got a great story in here from a man named Alex. He's a member of our tribe. And he was talking about how he used to think he was really smart, but when he was in kindergarten, he was working on the alphabet, and he always thought that the alphabet ended X uh, – so Y, N, Z. So there was a second N in the alphabet. And basically, at one point when he was doing the alphabet, his friends caught him throwing that extra N in, and they laughed at him. And he created this belief that he was stupid. I mean, that's how easy it is for us as children to be great observers, horrible interpreters creating these limiting beliefs. In our underdeveloped state, these choices, they're often irrational, erroneous, they're ridiculous, you know this. But what we do is we create this deeply embedded, sweeping belief that if in the slightest provocation – we can pull something right from our past, these limiting beliefs, and bring us right into the moment as a damaged 5-year-old, 8-year-old with these fresh wounds. These beliefs will stick with us continually. They damage us throughout our lives. And they're things we're not even aware of. It's like, it's like hiring a first-time drunken sailor to chart a navigational course around the world, and then stubbornly adhering to that course, even when it proves to be dangerously wrong or if our ship crashes into rocks, or even worse, As rocky and dangerous as the journey is, we never seem to question the map that we're given. That's what we do with these limiting beliefs. And Marianne, let me just kind of ask you right out of the gate on this one. As you're working with people, how often do you find them going back, looking at their story of origin, and then when it comes out where they got this belief from, that in that consciousness they're starting to realize, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. It is erroneous. How often do you find that?
1: Uh, it's, that's kind of the basis of every single breakthrough. You know, it's funny. when The more I work with people <laughs> with belief breakthrough, you know, it's funny because we'll, we'll start a brand new belief breakthrough and they'll kind of laugh and even chuckle at the idea of this limiting belief before they even get started. The more people get used to it. So I would have to say it's every single time. But here's the thing is the limiting belief at some point when it first originates back in originated it may have felt like it actually served them and that's what cements these beliefs in you know there was a belief that um that i used to carry around that said a certain person didn't love me because it was a protection that i had because if that was love that must not, that must not be love. That example that that person gave me was love, and they must not love me because that can't be the definition of love. So for my brain to understand what love really was, it had to come up with this learning belief that may have at a point served me in some way, but the even the short-term and the long-term effects are very damaging. And so very, very often I find that people say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that this limiting belief has caused this much damage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me give you a couple of examples of what that looks like. Um, in my book, I, I got several examples from you and the tribe, and here's a couple things that we came up with. Um, I've got an example of one of you here. Um, you were trying out for a school play. You won the part, but during the performance, you completely forgot your lines. You felt totally humiliated, and you adopted this belief. I cannot perform in front of others. I've got another one here of a young girl at nine years old who was sexually abused by an adult that she loved very much. She thought they had her best interests at heart, and from that she developed this idea, I can't trust. Um, We've got, as a teenager, another one of us here, a, a boy, showed interest in girls but felt that the interest wasn't reciprocated, and from these experiences created the belief I'm unattractive and decided that he wasn't worth loving okay? These are very real things. Now, our, our false beliefs, how they serve us, how they limit us, like Marianne was saying. As these stories illustrate that I just shared with you, ultimately these false beliefs produce these misguided attempts to protect ourselves, right? They're trying to protect us from pain, distress, embarrassment. Oh, I don't trust. Well, guess what? Maybe a nine-year-old girl should, that was abused should develop the belief I don't trust or shouldn't trust, because that might cause her to lock her door. And for those, for those formative years based on her experience, that might be a good decision. But at some point, think of how that, that's going to produce limitation later in life that could keep you from being a successful parent, entrepreneur, lover, you know, spouse. She's a little girl who forgets her lines in the belief, I can't perform in front of others. That might prefor- pre- uh, prevent her from ever performing again um, because she's trying to save herself from humiliation. But listen, as an adult, she may indeed avoid humiliating moments, but sadly, she'll miss out on the best opportunities because she'll never achieve her full potential by, by living life with a fear of humiliation. By running away from embarrassment, we actually run away from fulfillment and what produces our most limitless life, and instead, we settle for mediocrity. All right, so kind of scanning ahead here in the book, all of these false beliefs, they serve a purpose, ultimately the what? protect us and we protect our beliefs whether they're limitless or limiting the truth is they actually work they create a protective shell a defense barrier around our hearts of our most authentic selves and they do save us some pain and distress but in the process they prevent us from experiencing the highest level of joys and fulfillment they stifle our potential they make they may keep us safe as we proceed but by doing so they also keep us small So in truth, the safety we create from false beliefs is a prison. It's a prison cell, and we build it around ourselves. By keeping people out and preventing them from hurting us, we also keep ourselves locked inside from living life. So, Marianne, as you're doing belief breakthrough on people, what are some of the most extreme cases where you've seen people totally limit themselves by their beliefs, that it was just totally disabling them from producing results? Uh,
1: I, I have several examples of that. You know, I've seen people who have these limiting beliefs that, that cause them to not even try. And I often find that limiting beliefs usually fall into, if not always fall into one of three categories. I'm not enough, I can't, and I'm not loved. Usually that, when we get to the groundwork, that is the root limiting belief. I'm not enough to fill in the blank. I can't fill in the blank. I'm not loved to fill in the blank. And these beliefs are so crippling not just crippling, but they're blinding to possibility. You know, for example, we have people that say, um, I can't do that. Let's say they, they have a physical uh, ambition to run. You know, we talked about this at the wealth intensive. I, I want to be a runner. I want to run, but I can't. You know, fill in the blank. Fill in the reason why. Fill in the living memory that came up for you. This can't cause them to not only not attempt to run, but not attempt to attempt to run. So if I'm going to say I have the living belief that I can't and I can't go running, then not only am I not going to put myself in situations where I could be in a race and you know, I'm not going to drive for a, a marathon race or a something like that, I'm not even going to buy shoes that I can run in because why bother? Because why would I go running? And then the excuse builds upon itself, well, I can't run because I don't have the shoes. It's this compound evidence effect where when you have a certain belief, we started off by, by some memories, and then we continue to gather and build evidence for it, consciously or more often, subconsciously. I can't do this. Well, that means I'm not going to even try, and therefore I'm going to do something else. Since I'm not a runner, I might as well not buy the shoes, and since I don't have the shoes, then I'm going to do something else with my day, and maybe this TV show is on, and, and since I'm not a runner, I don't have the shoes, I have no reason, I'm going to watch this TV show instead and give myself even more reason and more evidence to not become a runner because then my body starts to atrophy. And then when I try to run, I'm going to get stitches in my side because I haven't been taking care of my body. So this limiting belief, it really builds this compound effect that prevents motion, it per- not just physical motion, but emotion, emotion, energy in motion. The limiting belief stops the energy. It creates a block. And since we are beings of motion, we're never holding still. It's like we're on a moving sidewalk. If we're not moving one way, we're moving another way. So if we have a limiting belief and we buy into it, not only are we not getting what we want, we're actually getting more of what we don't want.
2: Awesome. So if you want to stop getting more of what you don't want, here's more of the science of how this works. Our limitations as adults, this is what was created by our false beliefs that we chose as children. So we accept and even cling to our limitations because they keep us safe and protected. That's the illusion. And this is why belief breakthrough works, because it requires a willingness to change and a willingness to go back and look at what didn't work then. Until people are willing to change, they fight fiercely for their limitations. They can give you every logical reason and why they believe what they're doing, but they give you excuse after excuse after excuse. And that's why rule number one, you work with the willing. When you really understand and grasp belief breakthrough, the most important person you can really execute that on is yourself. Um, I've got a huge compassion, by the way, for, for people that feel stuck and not sure if they really want to move forward. Um, and so I don't share this really as a criticism, but it's just this understanding that right now we want to have our limitations as, until we don't. And there was this uh, famous author, Elizabeth Gilbert. Here's what she wrote. You argue for your limitations, and then you get to keep them. And when you're willing to no longer argue for them, then you can release them. So why do we resist belief breakthrough? Belief breakthrough work isn't something most people naturally figure out how to do. In fact, I don't think anyone does. But as it happened with me, we learn it from mentors. And I've had so many mentors that contributed to basically creating this belief breakthrough script the way that you receive it. And we just don't know what we don't know. Um, if you're familiar with Jahari's Window, um, i sometimes talking about that, the that others see that we can't, the things that we see that others can't, right? The things that are blind to us and hidden others. But the most dangerous window on Jahari's window is, what don't we know that others don't either? Well, now everyone is blind, and the worst is, we don't even know what we don't know. And that's why you maybe have heard this phrase, the older I get, the, the more the, the less I think I know. Well, that's coming from this this greater awareness that uh, that there is so little that we know, and that that of everything we perceive, there's very little that we take in and interpret. Here's what isn't true, though. We are not our limitations. We are buried beneath the limitations. They're just covering us up like that golden Buddha mud-covered statue. When we do learn about belief breakthrough work and we start to see our limitations, we often start the blame game. Ask yourself if you've done this, right? Right? We notice that we blame other people for our poor results, and if we don't blame others, who do we blame? We blame ourselves. We judge ourselves. We shame ourselves. We tell ourselves things like, come on, your wounds happened a long time ago. It's time to grow up and get over it. This is really true for people who have developed harmful habits and addictions from these false beliefs. But shame is the last thing that we need to heal our hearts and to get them to open up. What we really need is self-compassion. And in my book, there's a section I have here on what self-compassion is. Um, ultimately, though, I, I want to just talk about responsibility transcending victimhood. As you hold yourself in compassion, right, we talk so much about unconditional love and learning to love ourselves. You want to be careful that you don't stay in your victim mode where your choices and your results basically control you. In our victim mode, we blame others for why life isn't better. Is there something you can think of to blame in your life? And if so, If there's anything that you have any blame for, all that is is it's evidence that you have victimhood. In fact, close your eyes and take a deep breath in. And take another deep breath. What's the first thing that comes up when you think of, I'm blaming someone for something? Just sit there with this for a second. Right, and if you've got some blame coming up, then all that means is all you're revealing right now, this is a blind spot of where you still have some victimhood. And guess what? There's good news. There's belief breakthrough work you can do on that because when you live with victimhood, all it does is disempower and rob your ability to be powerful enough to get the results that you want. Ultimately, staying in that role, what it really does is it justifies poor behavior, poor results, and it means that we don't have to own that we're the creators of our story. The eighth of the final nine steps in the belief breakthrough process as officially outlined in the book is creating a new story. Right? We've got the old story. How do you want to reinterpret it to empower you instead of choosing an interpretation that disempowers? All right. I'm going to skip ahead here uh, just with the in lieu of time that we have. And what I want to just do right now is I want to actually just go through and share the official steps of Belief Breakthrough, the way we've outlined them in this book. And um, this is fun because I've done so many different versions of Belief Breakthrough and so much work like this, but to really create uh, a concise system that produces a result and works every time has been, it's just been a beautiful part of my life this last decade. And um, I'm going to share these nine steps with you right now. Right now, just if you guys care, the book is at least in a Word document. We're just around 200 pages So it's probably going to be a 40,000, 45,000-word book. I'm so excited about it. I cannot wait for it to be revealed and unveiled. All right, so here here are the steps. The first step is to ground. Ground, basically, we all know what grounding is. And from there, we move into step two identifying a limiting belief. Now, this is identifying a limiting belief, not the real one that you need to work on. Because there is some awareness that something's not right, and you take a stab in the dark at what that limitation might be. Have you ever had something come up like, I'm not enough, and you're like, no, no, it can't be that. I've worked on this one before. Well, that's just a limiting belief that's coming up. We're going to look behind it. The third step is to explore your memories. The fourth step is to identify the real limiting belief The fifth step step is to examine the cost of that belief. The sixth step is to give yourself permission to shift. The seventh step is to create a new belief. The eighth step is to rewrite your story. And the ninth step is to anchor your new belief. And those are the nine steps of belief breakthrough, just like we've got nine laws of conscious creation. Marianne, final question for you before we come back to Stephen Miller. In all of your personal experience with belief breakthrough, I know that you have seen such tremendous growth in your life. And we could talk about you doing belief breakthrough on other people. But for you, what is the value of having mastery over belief breakthrough on a daily basis for your life today?
1: I don't know if I can place a a dollar amount on it. It is far surpassed any monetary thing I can label it. But here's what I experienced. I'll be going throughout the day and I'll encounter something that what I would have said before that I quote-unquote can't do. You know, I'm trying something new and it doesn't work the first time. You know, in my body, master, I'm mastering agility and movement and I'll come up against things that I haven't done before and that are new. And I there are so many instances, not just in my master of my body and my agility, but in, in even something so simple as working a program on a computer or working with my kids or working with my mentors, anything, there are times when you try something and it doesn't work the first time. Now, you can either take that and say, I'm going to say I can't do this or I must not know how to do this or something is true about this situation that means something about me as a person and there are so many times throughout the day and I live my life in such a way where I I try and do new things all the time I try and do new things with my body or things with my mind or all the time and when you're doing that when you're in in a constant state of trying something you know even if it's like baking a new recipe and you have a, a mindset that allows you to say, "This didn't work. What do I? What's the take-home lesson?" You know, it's it's the the success matrix. It's did I get my goal? Yes or no. If it's yes, that's a success. If it's a no, did I learn a lesson? If I learned a lesson, then it's a success as well. But if I go for something, I don't achieve the goal and I don't learn the lesson, that's where the story creeps in. That's where building the evidence of the limiting belief creeps in. That's when you can buy into this limiting belief. And now that I've reached such a beautiful place of mastery with limiting belief, I have extended the time of consciousness between the stimulus and the result so that I can say, this does not mean something about me as a person However, I have learned a beautiful lesson about this. What does this instance of perceived failure, and I've I've adopted this from you, Chris, I will never use the word failure unless I'm teaching because it's just not part of my vernacular. What does this perceived failure really get to mean? How do I get to interpret it so that I'm not, a year down the road, something about that time I was trying to do something in my computer and I couldn't do it and it turned into this limiting belief. It's this live in action belief breakthrough where you don't have to go retroactively back to a memory where you're actually living it right there and saying, What does this get to mean about me? and I get to be my own advocate. That's the process I live in every single day, thanks to this belief breakthrough
2: work. Beautiful, Ariane, I appreciate you sharing that. I always tell people when you come into the inner circle, the reason why we want you to certify belief breakthrough is because that is the one thing that will take your ability to manifest the life you want to a completely different heights and my life has never been the same because of it, and we're experiencing, continuing to experience so much growth and joy, happiness, and fulfillment because ultimately I've got a process that is in my back pocket that's available to me at any moment that I'm very proactive with to make sure that I don't spend time in depression or sadness or anger or or. or or tolerating limiting beliefs that are so beneath my my privilege of who I am. And I believe that's true for all of us. Marianne, thank you for being on the call and for sharing your thoughts. For everyone else, we're excited for uh, the Limitless book to be coming out. Uh, We are in uh, the deep editing stages of it, and it is on its way. And we've got uh, 20 20 plus of our Limitless uh, tribe members that are – Coming out with a special edition of the book that have their own detailed chapter. Just them and I are going to be the authors in it, and that opportunity is still open up for some others, so that we can keep syndicating the book. And once you see it, you just it's 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 such an impactful book, and so excited for going to get a piece of that. Marianne, thanks for being on. Um, Stephen, are you there? I am. Thank you. Hey, um, so so guys, Stephen has, has got some training for you, and one of the things I'm going to invite him to take a little bit of time on for this portion of the call is, uh, is an awareness for all of you of how powerful this new revenue sharing plan is. Um, everyone is going to fall into one of two categories. You're either going to wait and see how it turns out, or you're going to start getting the immediate benefit. Because some people, they like to go second. They like to go third. But do you know the people who receive the biggest rewards in life? They are the people who go first. We just had our very first Vernal Regional. We've got eight more regionals coming up. Now we're talking about things as far away as Boise and Seattle. I'm sure it's just a matter of time before Vegas and California come online. And there is always a benefit to being a first mover advantage. And I want to share it right now with you. And Stephen will give you more detail on this. But right now, anyone that you invite to Limitless that's never been age 21 and older that goes for all three days, um, you get, you're an ambassador part of a very special pool of people. We take 5% of all of the results of the event, and there's generally at our events hundreds of thousands of dollars in results. So now we take 5% of that. It's a lot of money, and we basically split it with all the people they're intentionally bringing. Well, I want you to know something. For every one of you that is bringing someone on purpose as an ambassador to Limitless – there are five to ten other people who are going to show up just because it's a great life-changing event and people are sharing it with other people. They're going to receive credits, but our ambassadors are going to split a very they're going to share a very significant source of revenue. And the numbers that we computed based on just our event two weeks ago it is an astonishing amount of money. It is a great way. If there are any of you, if you're in a position where you feel like, Chris, I would love to make three or $4,000 with Limitless, um, how could I do that in just one event? I'm going to share that plan with you right now. Um, when you invite people to the event, we put you in categories of did you bring one through four people, five through nine people, or ten plus. If you were to work with Stephen Miller and use some of our proven strategies and just do a blitz and get 10 or more people that were there for the entire event, first of all, you're going to be part of a pool where you could be earning $1,000 to $2,000 just for them showing up. They don't need to do anything. They don't need to purchase anything just for them showing up. That's what you could be earning. And that's, It would have been $1,500 based on this last Limitless event. Based on this new announcement and everything coming out, that number potentially could be significantly greater. So there's a big play there. But if any of them decide to do any of our programs, then we would be sending you anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000 in thank you checks. So just think about that for a second. That's a significant source of money by helping people experience limitless. And if you're trying to get in some of our higher level programs, you can trade every dollar from a paycheck and actually trade it for double limitless points. So a $3,000 check would actually be 6,000 credits towards a limitless program. Um, This revenue sharing plan, it is is powerful. I know Steven's got his training he wants to do. I I just want to emphasize for all of you Um, that we've got great proven systems and ways to teach you how to become a powerful inviter. And that's just one of the pre-career paths that leads up to really going somewhere significant with Limitless on our together journey of mastery, growth, and learning. So thank you for being on my portion of today's call. Stephen, tear it up, brother. Hey,
0: thank you, Chris. I really appreciate that. And I just want to uh, reiterate what you said there. This is the first time in our history, and almost probably in anything that I've seen, where we have created not only a community in what we do together at our events and how we play together, and really this is all about creating a family and helping everyone to overcome their limiting beliefs, but now we've created a community in how we earn together, and and really everybody's contribution with this new change, uh, with this amazing update and enhancement, it's it's we all get to now play together, we all get to work together, we all get to earn together, and it's just an amazing opportunity, like you said, for everybody, no matter what level you're at, if you're just the casual invite somebody, or if you're ready to use this as a business method to to grow your own financial wealth, it's all there and it's all possible. And uh, nothing is taken for granted, and nothing is in vain, it all gets to go towards building up your financial future. Um, so I really love what we're putting in place here. Thanks for going over some of that, Chris. Um, I wanted to I wanted to talk about a couple things here today, uh, along the lines of gaining financial freedom. And as I was in Vernal, I got really clear um, on a, a couple different items that that kind of popped up as we were in the room. There were a lot of people that uh, had a lot of fear, and you know, fear is something I think that can can keep us from oftentimes stepping into our greatness. Fear can often keep us from doing those small little things that would make the massive and big difference in our lives. And, and I want to talk about, in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, I know that I talk about this book all the time. And I will always talk about this book because, honestly, it's a super, super powerful book. But in his book, uh, he has a chapter called How to Outwit the Six Ghosts of Fear. And I'm not going to sit here and read the whole book or anything or this whole chapter to you, but there are certain things that I wanted to bring up and talk about that are are very, very useful when going out and discussing limitless with people. As you're inviting people to come, as you're serving, um, these fears are real for us. These are the things that oftentimes will hold us back, and understanding them and how you can overcome them or how they show up is really a crucial step in getting past them In breaking through those limiting beliefs so I want to kind of talk about some of these he talks about the six basic fears and those six basic fears are number one the fear of poverty and as I'm going through these six basic fears I want you just to chime in and write down some notes if if these come up for you in other words if these are fears that you know you possess (laughs) or that possess you maybe I should say If you have any of these fears in any way, shape, or form, write some of these down, okay? So number one, the fear of poverty. Number two, the fear of criticism. The fear of criticism. Number three, the fear of ill health, you know, getting sick. Number four, the fear of the loss of someone. Number five, the fear of old age. And then number six, the fear of death. Now, it's interesting, as he's going through these six basic fears, he really highlights the first three, the fear of poverty, criticism, and ill health, as some of the biggest things. or These are the foundation of most worries, he says. Almost every worry that we have, almost every limiting belief, he, he, he traces back to the fear of poverty, the fear of cri- criticism, and the fear of health. And what I love about this book and this chapter in particular is he goes into the symptoms that we can identify. So if you're not quite sure yet, if you have any of these fears yet, then I want to go in and talk about some of these symptoms. And these symptoms are really, again, a deeper level in this limiting belief or in these fears that pop up, and if you can understand and, and identify these symptoms, you can do this belief breakthrough work that Chris just talked about—the nine steps of belief breakthrough. You can take yourself or have someone else take you through those nine steps of belief breakthrough, and overcome, get through this, and start creating a more powerful life. Start inviting more people. So again, I want to focus on first of all the symptoms of the fear of poverty, and one of the first symptoms of the fear of poverty is indifference. And what Napoleon Hill means by indifference is, you know, this is often expressed through a lack of ambition. Or maybe you're just willing to tolerate poverty. Um, You just accept whatever compensation life may offer you without protest. This is an interesting thing that he says here. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that again. He says, acceptance of whatever compensation life may offer you without protest. First of all, if you're just waiting for life to offer you compensation, and that may, may be in way of, of a job that you're looking to, to get. Uh, maybe you are even a business owner, but you're not actively out there marketing yourself and creating a platform for yourself to grow. Maybe you're just waiting for customers to come to you. Right? Maybe you even bought a franchise, and, and you've got the storefront now, and you've got the signs up, and you change the marquee every day or every other day to, to try to get people to come, but you're just waiting for people to come in. Maybe you have a little bit of indifference, because right? this indifference, it keeps us from acting. This indifference keeps us from doing those things that would be to our best benefit, He says, mental and physical laziness is part of this indifference, a lack of initiative, imagination, enthusiasm, self-control. These are all parts of indifference. Another symptom of the fear of poverty is indecision. Going through life just kind of not, not knowing exactly what to do, and because there's so many different ways that you could go, so many different forks in the road that you can take, so many different choices that it's hard for you to make a decision. And I've seen this so often with people. Oftentimes we even associate this with the chaos of abundance. You know, once you start getting into this world and start overcoming some of your limiting beliefs, you may recognize that there's so much that you can do. Like there's so many amazing opportunities and possibilities and having all these different choices in front of you, you stop Moving forward, because you don't know exactly what to choose. You stay, in this, you stay on the fence, right? You, uh, you, you get into the habit of permitting others to do your own thinking. You stay on the fence. You don't make these decisions, and things just kind of happen to you. Another symptom of fear is doubt. And this is generally expressed through alibis and excuses uh, this is, you know, that are designed to cover up Explain away, maybe, or apologize for your failure. Sometimes it's expressed in the form of, of envy um, of people that are successful, or maybe you criticize them. So this doubt creeps up a lot. How often is doubt creeping up for you? Again, generally expressed through alibis or excuses designed to cover up or explain away or apologize for your failures. As We all have failures, don't it? Don't explain them away. Don't apologize for them. It's part of the learning process. Accept them, embrace them, and learn from them. Move forward. Another symptom of fear is worry. Now, oftentimes this worry is expressed by finding fault with others. Um, Sometimes this worry gives us a tendency to spend beyond our income. Have you ever thought about that? If you worry, if you're worrying about finances, sometimes you want to Cover up that worry with spending more than you than you can afford right now, spending more than you have right now, or more than you're willing to even create right now. Um, sometimes worry uh, is is it shows up through intemperance, meaning maybe you you know you turn to drink or drug or other types of addictions. Uh, sometimes uh, the use of narcotics, like it says here, nervousness, lack of poise, self-consciousness. Lack of self-reliance, this is how worry shows up. Another symptom of fear is over-caution, right? Always looking for the negative side of every circumstance, talking yourself out of it. Sometimes, and not to, not to throw anyone under the bus, but sometimes your oracle in you will, will bring up that skepticism, right? The over-caution, but really what you have is a fear of poverty. Really what you have is a fear of making a decision that's going to put you in a financial situation that you don't like. And so you're overly cautious, right? You no longer trust intuition. Instead, you're just, you just throw up every wall that you possibly can, and you say, no, I, this isn't for me, obviously, or, oh, look at that. I'm skeptical of this or that or the other or whatever. And so you're overcautious. And another one, I think this is the last symptom of fear here that he talks about, is procrastination. It's interesting that most of these go together, right? Most of these sub- symptoms, you're not going to have one without some of the others. Oftentimes they come in pairs or, or, or in triplet, maybe even in, in quadruple. Um, but procrastination is a big one, right? You put off until tomorrow something that you know should have been done. <laughs> Last year, <laughs> not even today, right? You know it should have been done last year, but you keep on putting it off. This fear of poverty is real for so many people, and if you can identify these symptoms—indifference, indecision, doubt, worry, overcaution, and procrastination—then you can begin to overcome. You can begin the breakthrough work that's necessary. You can look back in your life at the at the memories, right? Like Chris talked about, you can go back into into your whole huge book of, of experiences and identify where this started. Identify what experience you had where you made a decision about yourself that you were afraid of, of being poor, or you were afraid of not having enough, or not being enough, and where these different things pop up for you. So that's the fear of poverty. After the fear of poverty, again, we talked about a, the, the second one here, which is the fear of criticism. And, you know, this fear of criticism comes up for, for so many people, and, and this, this often comes up when we're, when we're out there wanting to invite people, <laughs> right, when we're out there putting ourselves out there, something that we care about. Because if you're on this call, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption. You've come to Limitless, and you had an amazing experience. You came to Limitless, you had an amazing experience, and there were some limiting beliefs that for you were triggered and came up But you saw a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you had a massive breakthrough. Maybe it was through one of our processes that we do. Maybe you attended and and did the wall or the board break or the arrow break or the glass walk or any one of our many, many amazing processes. And in that process, you had an amazing experience where you were able to break through some of that limiting belief that was holding you back. And it was anchored in that experience and so now you've got this amazing experience that you want to then take out to the world and you want to share it with people and you want to improve your situation. You want, to start, you want to continue this breakthrough process for yourself. And so as you're out there talking to people, as you're out there looking for individuals who you can connect with and invite, maybe this fear of criticism pops up. And it comes in the way of self-consciousness, right? Generally expressed through being nervous. Maybe you're timid in a conversation, uh, maybe maybe it, it, you move awkwardly a little bit you know, with your hands or maybe you're shifting in your eyes. You're just not confident, right? You're self-conscious of the way they're going to feel about you. You're self-conscious about maybe how they may, may perceive what it is that you're sharing or maybe they're going to be judgmental of you. Another symptom of the fear of criticism is the lack of poise. And I will tell you, as you overcome each of these different symptoms of these fears, then the fear will go away, right? The fear can't be there without any of these symptoms showing up, so if you start tackling these symptoms, that fear is gonna go away. If you can tackle that fear, obviously, those symptoms won't show up anymore either for you. But lack of poise is a big one. Body language, and we talk about this a lot in sales and in uh, creating, and you know, as you're out there inviting people, I going to shut my door real quick. Had a little bit of outside noise, but this lack of poise is huge. And you know, this often comes by way of uh, you know, the lack of voice control, again, nervousness uh, in in the presence of others, poor posture, poor memory. But if you can regain that poise, if you can show self confidence, and you know, and, and get away from this fear of criticism, then all of a sudden you stand a little taller. When you stand taller and you're expressing your ideas, and you're expressing uh, your feelings, when you're sharing and getting vulnerable with people about what you were able to experience with poise and with confidence, then all of a sudden, people, people perk up. People listen. Think of your experience that you had at Limitless and the people that were on stage. And think about the messages that touched you the most. Did those people have... Point. were they up on stage with confidence or were they self-conscious uh, another symptom of the fear of criticism is personality and what I mean by that is a lack in firmness of decision personal charm and the ability to express opinions definitely and I say this all the time when you're out there inviting people when you're when you're getting them interested in what it is that you're doing if you have the personality to back it up, and, and again, when he's talking about personality, he's talking about that confident charm, uh, expressing your your opinions in a definite manner, um, unwavering. If you can a- approach it that way, people will listen. Another symptom of the fear of criticism is having an inferiority complex. He names a few others, and I'm not going to go through all these right now, but I just wanted to list them here. He talks about extravagance, lack of initiative, Lack of ambition, all these things coming from the fear of criticism. And then I want to jump over here to the last one. We've only got a few minutes left, but it's the symptoms of the fear of ill health. And this is, this is powerful to me because I think for most of us, you know, if, if we're not at our, in our perfect health form, in our perfect body form that we want to be in, then we probably have some things to look at here. But he talks about autosuggestion. This is the first symptom of the fear of ill health, this auto-suggestion. And I love the conversation of auto-suggestion because, honestly, this is, a, this is something that I talked about at the Vernal Regional this last weekend uh, because it is so true and it, it affects almost every part of our life. I want you to think about, for a second, um, how you talk to yourself. Like, think about how you talk to yourself for a second. Think about all the bad things that you don't like about yourself. And I'm not going to stay in this space for very long, but I want you to do this exercise. If you can, if you're not driving, take a moment and write down just a few things that you don't like about yourself, that you are often telling yourself you don't
2: like about yourself.
0: Right? Maybe it's I'm fat. Maybe it's I'm ugly. Maybe it's I don't, uh, you know, I'm not confident, whatever it is. I want you to think about the, the, you know, just a handful, maybe three or four things that you often tell yourself. And as you're writing those down, hopefully you've got that done, I want you to think about someone who you love more than anything. Not yourself. Pick somebody else. Somebody else that you love so, so much right now. So if you, hopefully you've got that person in mind. What I want you to do now is I want you in your mind to imagine... Going up to that person and saying the things that you wrote down about yourself to that person. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking these things, these self-deprecating words, and saying it about somebody else that you love dearly? Mm -hmm saying it to somebody else, maybe that's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a best friend, would you use those words in speaking to that person? And if not, and chances are you probably would never do that, then you also shouldn't be saying it about yourself. That auto-suggestion, using those words, I am, are so powerful, I am statements are so powerful, that if you're using them inappropriately, this type of auto-suggestion, it's going to tear down and rip apart and degrade your body, your health, so we've gotta be aware of what it is that we're telling ourselves. Autosuggestion, this type of autosuggestion leads to hypochondria, which, which is another symptom of the fear of ill health. Um, exercise, if we fear ill health, then we won't exercise, we just won't. If we're constantly telling ourselves that we're sick, then we just, you know, uh, that will all come into play. We just won't go outside, we won't move our bodies as, as, as much, we won't go to the gym. It will increase our susceptibility for disease. Isn't it interesting that doctors who are around contagious diseases all day long are often the most healthy people? Why? Because they don't fear. They don't fear the disease. They understand the disease, and they don't fear it. They're around it constantly. You people that come in contact with it once who are constantly talking about being afraid of it, afraid of contracting this, that, or the other, you know, and the diseases They change over time, right? Back in the day, back in Napoleon Hill's time, it was smallpox. And in our time, it's H1N1 or, (laughs) you know, the swine flu or or whatever. I mean, there's so many, you know, the Zika virus. And if you're constantly thinking about how you don't want to contract it, how you, oh, you're so scared of it, chances are you're going to be more susceptible to it. He talks about self-coddling and intemperance and all these other things. I I love how Napoleon Hill tackles these these different ghosts of fear the reality is that these ghosts of fear are you know they affect all of us if we don't consciously um, go after them if we're not consciously aware of them and go after them and i will tell you if you will if you will begin today to identify the symptoms in your life of these different fears and then do the belief breakthrough work if you if you can't help yourself then reach out to the tribe get on our facebook page get a mentor Become part of the inner circle. Whatever it is that you need to help you get past these things, let us help you overcome these fears. Because by doing so, you will be a thousand times more successful. You'll be a thousand times healthier. You'll be happier. And this is our wish for you. Everyone, thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and uh, end this call. And we're going to do it in the traditional, limitless fashion. I'm going to go ahead and unmute the... And on the count of three, I want to hear a massive "I am limitless." One, two, three.
2: I
1: am.